First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, do you turn with me to Acts chapter 20? Again, the passage that was read for us just a few minutes ago. Today is the first day in the final series of our study of the book of Acts. Uh, We're calling this series, as you just saw, The Adventure, because uh, when you are truly living on mission with the Lord, it is an adventure. You don't know uh, where He's going to take you. Uh, You don't know what He's going to do with your life or how He's going to use you. But like it said on that video, there is no more exciting life than the one spent following Jesus. That's true for us today, and we're going to see in this series that that was true for the Apostle Paul as well 2,000 years ago. Well, we're picking up the story today right in the middle of Acts chapter 20. Paul is finishing up his third missionary trip. He is at this moment hurrying back to Jerusalem, trying to make it there in time to celebrate Pentecost. He wants to celebrate Pentecost in the very city where Pentecost happened, where the Holy Spirit was given to the church. And he's trying to get there quickly also because we know that he had been collecting an offering Uh, from the churches to give to the church at Jerusalem. They were suffering through a terrible famine, and he wanted to get that relief to them as uh, quickly as he could. And Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, was at this point one of Paul's traveling companions, and he tells us in verse 16 that it was because of Paul's hurry to get to Jerusalem for Pentecost that he sailed past the city of Ephesus, Uh, He had spent three years in Ephesus, and he knew so many people there that he probably knew that if he stopped there, there was no way that could have been a short visit. He would have been uh, caught there for a long time. So he sails past Ephesus, but the boat that he was sailing on stopped in Miletus for a few days. Miletus was only about 30 miles away from Ephesus, and so he has an opportunity, a window of time there. And so he sent some messengers 30 miles up the road to Ephesus and calls for the elders of the church, the pastors, the overseers, all three of those terms are used in this passage, I believe referring to the same office in the church. And he calls for these men to come. He knows that he will not see them again. And he has some important things to to share with them as they carry on leading and shepherding the church that Paul planted and that he loved so much there in Ephesus. Now, since this speech uh, was given from Paul and and was directed to a group of pastors, uh, it certainly does have a lot of application for those like myself who have been called uh, to pastor in the local church. It's very similar in that regard to the letters Paul wrote to pastors, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. In this speech in Acts 20, Paul is really laying out his philosophy of ministry. He's telling us the way that ministry in the local church uh, should be carried out. And that's something that certainly I need to hear. It's something that all of our pastors need to hear. It's something that everyone in vocational ministry and Christian service needs to hear. And because of that emphasis in this particular passage, uh, we're going to end this service today in a special way. I've asked all the pastors to come back into this service before it's finished for that special time. But I, I do need to say this as well. Uh, this message isn't just for those in vocational Christian ministry. It's really for every Christian. 
And that's because the Bible says that every Christian has been given a ministry. We need to remember what Paul wrote to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 4. He said, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So according to that passage, the, the ones who are doing the work of ministry are all the saints. All of those who are followers of Christ, the job of pastors is to equip the saints to do the work of ministry that he has given to all of us. And so Christian, I hope you take that truth in today, that you are in the ministry, that God called you to a ministry and he called you to that ministry the day he called you to himself, the day that he saved you. Now you may not do that vocationally, you may be a teacher or a business person or an engineer or a stay-at-home mom or, or a thousand other things. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, your number one calling is to fulfill the ministry that God has given to you. And so as we walk through this farewell speech of Paul today to these pastors at the church of Ephesus, I want us to notice together 10 marks of ministry done right. Ten marks of ministry done right. And again, since we've all been given a ministry by the Lord, these ten marks are ten things the Lord wants to see in all of our lives as we fulfill the ministry that he's given to each of us. Here's the first mark. Ministry done right is a consistent ministry. A consistent ministry. Look at verse 18. Paul opens his address to these pastors with these words. He says, when they came to him, He said to them, you know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you. Other translations render that last phrase, how I was with you the whole time. And remember, the whole time that he was in Ephesus was quite a long time. He was there longer than he was in any other church in any other city. He was there for three full years. And so they had a long window of opportunity to witness the consistency with which Paul lived his life. And so he starts by reminding them of that. He wants to hold up his pattern of ministry as a model for them to follow. You know, Paul said similar things to other churches in many of the letters that he wrote. To the Thessalonians, Paul said this. He said, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. To the Philippians, he made the point even more simply. He said, brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. So whether it was to the Thessalonians or the Philippians or the Ephesians and all of these cities and all of these churches, Paul was consistent in the way that he lived for the Lord. Now he wasn't perfect, certainly, but he was consistent. He wasn't one thing when he was in front of them and another thing when he was not. The British preacher Charles Spurgeon put it very memorably when he said this. He said, quote, We have all heard the story of the man who preached so well and lived so badly that when he was in the pulpit, everybody said he should never come out again. And when he was out of it, they all declared he never ought to enter it again. 
And too many preachers forget to serve God when they are out of the pulpit. Their lives are negatively inconsistent. And then he added this, true ministers are always ministers. It is a horrible thing to be an inconsistent minister. And church, let's pray that by God's grace, we would be consistent in our ministry, that we would be authentic, that we would be the same thing when we're at church or when we're at work or when we're at home or when we're alone. Ministry done right is a consistent ministry. That's the first mark. Here's the second. Ministry done right is also a humble ministry, a humble ministry. Look in verse 19 with me, the very next verse. He says, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. If you've been with us for much of this series, you know that Paul's ministry was far from easy. There were many trials along the way. There were many people who did not like his message. There were many tears shed on the journey. But Paul says, despite all of that, that he kept on serving the Lord with humility. Focus first on those words, serving the Lord. That's what our lives and our ministry should be about. No matter what we do, we do it for the Lord. We serve the Lord. Now, we serve others, certainly, but we serve others as a part of our serving the Lord. And if we ever forget that, then we will become man-pleasers instead of God-pleasers. Paul says he served the Lord with humility. And I cannot stress enough how important it is to pursue humility in our lives because pride is a sinister evil. It is a wicked trap that is not too far from any of our feet. Pride is something that everyone battles. Certainly pastors are not immune from that. I know in my own heart I've seen the poison of pride at times. And I would ask you to pray for me. Pray that I would walk in a spirit of humility because God does not bless a proud minister. We all need to be on our guard against, against pride. Pride can rise up when you begin to think that you're serving the Lord more fervently than others are serving him. Pride can start to creep in when you perhaps are passed over for a certain role, place of service that you thought should have gone to you. Pride is rearing its head when we begin to insist on our way and our preferences and put those above of the needs of other people in the body. You know, when we remember like Paul did, the grace that has been shown to us by God, we remember where we were when God's grace found us, when he saved us, when we remember that it's only by his grace that we even have the privilege to be able to serve him at all in any capacity, then we can serve the Lord with a spirit of humility as we should. We've seen the first two marks of ministry done right. It will be a consistent ministry. It'll be a humble ministry. Number three, it will also be a public and a personal ministry. Move on to the very next verse, verse 20. He says, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. And we'll come back to the first part of that verse in a moment. I, I love how he says, I didn't hold anything back from you. In other words, I didn't sugarcoat anything. And he says, I didn't just tell people what they wanted to hear. I told them what they needed to hear. I told them the truth. But, but I love in the second part of that verse how he says, I taught them publicly and 
from house to house. Now, he certainly taught them publicly when he got to Ephesus, and you can read about it in chapter 19. For the first three months, he taught in the synagogue each week. And then he moved to the school of Tyrannus, and he taught there every day, every afternoon. And so people could come from any quarter, any station, and listen to him. He had a very open, very public ministry. But he said, I didn't just have that kind of ministry. I also taught you from house to house. Certainly some of the pastors who were standing in that circle listening to Paul that day could testify to that. That they could remember specific occasions when Paul came to their house. When he came to their living room, so to speak, when he dropped by to check on them, when he came to encourage them, when he came to challenge them, to teach them, to disciple them. When Paul says, I minister to you from house to house, this wasn't just something that was done in theory, that this is something that actually happened, that they could testify to. And this is the kind of ministry that is needed in the church today. Yes, the public preaching of the word of God is so very important. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But the ministry that needs to happen today is more than what happens in the pulpit on Sunday. There are too many celebrity pastors today in the American church who preach and then slip out the back door and nobody can ever approach them. No one can talk to them. No one can ever meet with them. And that is not what ministry is about. I don't care how big the church is. A pastor must be approachable and available to the people that they shepherd. Certainly time must be guarded for study and time must be guarded for family and everyone understands that. But if a minister is not available to meet with those that he shepherds, in what sense of the word is he a minister? Paul said, I minister to you from house to house. Ministry today needs to happen in those places. It needs to happen in living rooms and at hospital bedsides and at coffee shops and at restaurant tables. Ministry happens where people are. And the last thing I need to say about this before I move on, when we think about ministry that happens from house to house, certainly the first house that it needs to happen is in our own house. That's the most important ministry that God has given to any one of us, the ministry that happens in our own home with our own children and our own grandchildren to point them to the Lord. Here's the fourth mark of ministry done right. Ministry done right is a gospel ministry, a gospel ministry. When I say that, I mean it's a ministry that shares the whole gospel with people, the real gospel, the gospel that really saves people from hell for heaven. That's the gospel message that Paul preached, and yet it's a message that many today have deemed too controversial or too off-putting to our culture to share. Look at the next verse with me, verse 21. Paul says, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice Paul says there, he preached the same thing, the same message to Jews and to the Greeks. It wasn't one message for one group and another message for another group. There are so many in our culture and today even in the church culture who are trying to divide us over race. But the Bible says no matter what our background is, no matter what our ethnicity is, we all have the same problem. I love how Tony Evans put it. He said, we don't have a skin problem. We have a sin problem. But praise God, we have a Savior who can save every single one of us. That's why the message 
is a message we all need to hear about the same Savior who sets sinners like us free. Paul said, I preach the same thing to everybody. And then in verse 21, he tells them what he preached. He says, well, this is what I preach. I preach repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, it doesn't get simpler than that. This is the good news, that Jesus died for our sins on the cross, that he rose again on the third day. And, and Paul says, this is how we must respond to it. I mean, we must respond with repentance to God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And really, those are two sides of the same coin. If we truly believe in Jesus, then we're going to want to turn away from our sin. But if we have no real heart of repentance, if we have no real desire to change and live differently, then there's no real faith in the Lord in our hearts. But there are some people today, even some ministers today, who totally leave out the repentance part of the gospel, who do not preach about sin who do not talk about turning away from anything, who never talk about judgment, never talk about God's wrath, never talk about hell. They talk about love and grace and forgiveness and mercy. All of those are true, but they have shaved off the hard edges. They've shaved off the corners of the message and in the process, they've neutered the gospel of all its power. Because a gospel of easy believism that does not require us to do anything, to change anything, to carry any cross, is not a gospel that saves. There is no salvation apart from saving faith, and there is no saving faith in the heart of a person who does not want to live for the Lord. And if we want to do ministry right, then we need to preach the same message that Paul did message of repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, maybe you're here today because for the very first time, God is calling you to repent towards God, to turn from your sin, to put your faith in Christ. And you can do that today. You can call out to him today and he will hear you when you call. That's mark number four of ministry done right. It's a gospel ministry. Here's mark number five. Ministry done right will be a committed ministry. Now, being committed to something will mean something different to different people. I, uh, I came across uh, the story of a young man this week who wrote a letter to uh, the girl of his dreams. I mean, he just, he just poured out his heart uh, to this young woman. This, this is what he wrote, quote, My dear, I would climb the highest mountain for you. I would swim the widest stream. I would cross the burning desert. I would die at the stake for you. P.S. I will see you on Saturday night if it doesn't rain. <laughs> I'm not sure that young man was quite as committed as he claimed to be, but thankfully the Apostle Paul was not that way. He was totally committed to the Lord and to the ministry that God had given him. In verses 22 and 23, he talks about being bound in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. Now, he wasn't yet in a literal change, but it was almost as if he was. He was chained up to the will of God, to the will of the Holy Spirit that was leading him to Jerusalem, even though he says, I know that when I get there, that imprisonment is waiting for me, that tribulation is waiting for me. And he says, I know that because every city I go to, God keeps telling me. And we're going to see that next week. God speaks through a prophet named Agabus about how imprisonment was waiting for Paul as soon as he got to Jerusalem. And of course, that in fact is what happened as the story plays out. And yet, even though Paul knows what is ahead of him, he keeps on going anyway. 
And listen to what he says in verse 24. I think this is one of the most powerful verses in the entire book of Acts. Paul says, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. In other words, Paul says, my primary concern is not my physical safety. My primary concern is not to save my life above all things because my life belongs to the Lord. He says, I just want to finish my race well. He says, I want to fulfill my ministry. And then he says what his purpose was, what his ministry was. He says, it's to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And church, that wasn't just the Apostle Paul's purpose in life. That is every single Christian's purpose in life. From the time God saves you until the time you go home to be with the Lord, that is your purpose. That is my purpose, to testify through our life and through our words and by our love to the gospel of the grace of God. Again, that's everybody's calling, every Christian's calling. doesn't matter what your vocation is. That's the single purpose of every Christian pastor and every Christian plumber. It's the purpose of every Christian missionary and every Christian mechanic to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Christian, don't waste your life chasing other things. Don't squander your life chasing money and possessions and comfort and pleasure and entertainment. Pour your life out for the Lord. Spend your life like Paul did, testifying to the goodness of the grace of God and pointing people to Jesus. Notice Paul says, I want to finish my race. You know, even though we all have the same purpose, we all have a different race. The race God has for you to run is not the same as the race he has for me to run. But I pray that you'd finish your race well. And I hope you'd pray for me that I'd finish mine. I don't know what that race is for me. I don't know if that race that God has for me is for me to preach here in Melbourne for, for 50 years. I, I hope it is because there's nowhere else that I want to be. But if God's plan is for me to serve somewhere harder, somewhere more difficult, somewhere less comfortable, whatever he calls me to do, wherever he calls me to be, I want to be faithful to him to the very end. I want to finish my race well. I pray that you and I would come to the end of our life and we'd be able to say the words that Paul wrote in the last chapter of the last letter that he sent to Timothy when he said this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Ministry done right will be a committed ministry. Number six, it will also be a biblical ministry. You see, not only was Paul committed to the Lord and to the church, he was also committed to the ministry of the word in the church. And look in verse 26 with me. He says, therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. Most likely he's alluding to what Ezekiel wrote about the watchman. That the job of a watchman is simply to sound the alarm. It's to warn when danger is coming. And as a pastor, that is what we're called to do, to, to tell the truth, 
to speak faithfully to the truth, to warn when we need to warn. And Paul says when we've done that, then we have no blood on our hands, that we're innocent because all we can do is share. We can't force people to believe. We can't force people to obey, but we can sound the alarm and we can warn them. And he says, that's what I did. And then he says in verse 27, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. The word shunned there is the same word that's used in verse 20. It means to not shrink back. It means to not hold anything back. And so two times now in this passage, Paul has said, I did not shy away from giving you the whole truth, the whole counsel of God. He taught them about sin. He taught them about the Savior. He taught them about how they could grow in Christ. He taught them about heaven and the life to come. He taught them the whole counsel of the word of God. You know, my conviction is that the best way for pastors to do that today, to give their people the whole counsel of God's word, is to preach and teach through whole books of the Bible. Just as we're doing right now, as we're going through the book of Acts together. We've been going through it line by line, chapter by chapter, from beginning to the end. If you've been a part of our church for any length of time, you know that while from time to time we'll sprinkle in some different thematic series, that the the staple diet of our church and worship is to go through books of the Bible. My, My heart's desire if the Lord would let me, would be to preach through all 66 books of the Bible. I'm keeping track of the ones we've done so far. We've got a lot more to go. Now, there is so much more that I'd like to say about this, but I do want to share this. The lack of preaching the whole counsel of the Word of God is deeply wounding the church in America today. When the diet in many churches is for one verse to be read or the, a phrase perhaps for one verse to be read and then the preacher proceeds to share for 30 more minutes about whatever he believes, whatever he thinks, that is not helpful. That does not build up the body because, listen, it it really doesn't matter what the preacher thinks. It really doesn't matter what I think. It matters what God says. And my prayer for the church in America today is that we would return to the ministry of the Apostle Paul, to a ministry of preaching and teaching the whole counsel of the Word of God. Church, it's what I'm committed to pouring my life out to do for as long as God lets me here in Melbourne. Ministry done right must be a biblical ministry. Number seven, it must also be a shepherding ministry. And I really believe verse 28 is at the heart of what Paul wants to share with these pastors of the church of Ephesus. This is what he's really calling them to do. Look at verse 28. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. You know, two of the other words for the role of an elder in the church are used in this one verse. The word overseer is the same word that we get the word bishop from. And the word shepherd here is the word that we get the title pastor from. And that's really what he's calling these men to do, to pastor, to shepherd the church of God. But first off, he says to them, you need to shepherd yourselves. He says, take heed to yourselves. And he says the same thing, by the way, to his son in the faith, Timothy, who would later become the pastor of the church at Ephesus. This is what he wrote to Timothy. He said, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. 
continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Probably every one of us in this room can think of the story of a pastor who has fallen and who is no longer in the ministry because they failed to do what Paul said here. They failed to take heed to themselves. Of course, we need to remember, every believer needs to remember that there but by the grace of God go I. As Paul would say, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. I'm so thankful in our church that we have a plurality of elders that we're able to encourage each other, to hold each other accountable, to stay close with the Lord Jesus because that is where it starts. We need to shepherd ourselves. But then secondly, Paul says to these men to shepherd the flock. In verses 29 through 31, God gave Paul some amazing insight about what was going to happen in the future at this church of Ephesus about how false teachers were going to come in like savage wolves dressed in sheep's clothing. We know that from his letters to Timothy. We know that even from Revelation chapter 2 and the Lord Jesus' letter to this church at Ephesus. That what Paul says here comes to pass, and he's warning these pastors about this, and he's telling them, you need to be ready to fulfill your ministry, and part of your ministry as shepherds is to protect the flock, to protect the flock against false teaching that will try to work its way inside. But back in verse 28, I love the way that Paul describes the church there. He says, therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, listen, which he purchased with his own blood. What a beautiful description of the church that is, that every member of the church is like a sheep in the flock of God who has been purchased by God by the blood of Christ and belongs to Christ. And because that is who the church is, it it grieves my heart when I hear pastors and ministers disparage their congregations or speak ill of them. Sheep will go astray. All of us will go astray. Sheep will need care. We all need care. But like this verse says, the church of God has been purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. And because that's the case, there is no more precious thing on earth than the church. Those who have been called to lead her should not disparage her, but should love her with all their hearts. More on that in just a minute. We've seen seven of the marks of ministry. We have three more to go. We're gonna move very quickly through these last three. Mark number eight. Ministry done right is an entrusting ministry. Let me explain what I mean by that. Look with me at verse 32. Paul says, So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So after challenging these men and giving these men some very sober warnings about their call and their duty as pastors, now he wants to encourage them and build them up. Paul knows that he cannot stay with them forever. And he wants them to know why he's confident. And it's because he knows that they are in God's hands. He says, I'm entrusting you to God. I'm entrusting you to the word of his grace. I know his word will build you up. I know his word will hold you fast. I know his word will give you the inheritance one day that he has promised to all who know him. And and this is a good balancing truth to all of the other truths that we have shared so far. Yes, the, the role of an elder or a pastor in the church is important. But you know, as as a minister of the gospel, it is so easy to get overwhelmed. 
And it's easy to start to feel like the souls of everyone depends on you and what you do. To think, you know, if you don't make that one call, if you don't make that one visit, if you don't uh, teach that lesson just right, that it's all going to fall apart in somebody else's life. But the reality is, and this is true for every one of us, we are not anyone's savior. There's only one savior. And his name is Jesus, and we were not meant to bear the weight that only Jesus Christ can bear. And so at the end of the day, after you have poured your life into others, after you've invested in them the way that Paul invested in this group of men, you have to entrust them to God. You have to lift them up to the Lord and trust that his word will be at work in their hearts, and he will finish the work that he started in every one of his sons and his daughters. Here's Mark number nine, ministry done right will be a contented and a giving ministry. And you see that in verses 33 through 35. Paul says, the whole time I was with you, I'd never coveted anyone's gold, anybody's silver, anybody's clothing. I was content with what I had. I worked hard with my own hands to provide for myself. Most likely he did that in his trade as a tent maker. Now, this does not mean that all pastors should be bivocational. In fact, in other passages, Paul writes about how you should not muzzle the ox while it treads out the grain, how it's right for pastors uh, to receive support so that they can be free to serve the church. But here he's warning these pastors about the dangers of greed. And certainly there are many public examples of those who have evidently fallen victim to that. I saw a video some time ago of a pastor asking for donations so that he could buy his third airplane. You know, I don't know exactly where the line is. I'm sure the line is different for every single person, but whenever you're asking for donations to buy your third airplane, the line is somewhere behind you when it comes to this area. What I love most here is that Paul doesn't just warn us about greed. He also holds up the beauty of giving. He quotes from Jesus words that actually are not found anywhere in the four gospels, but have been passed down from those who heard him say them. And look at the words at the end of verse 35. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And that's so beautiful to me that these are the last words that Paul speaks to these pastors, because really this sums up everything that we've talked about so far. This sums up what ministry done right looks like. It is a ministry that is about giving. God has called us to give the gospel, to give the word, to give our love, to give our time, to give our very selves, to pour ourselves out for each other. And according to Jesus, a life lived that way, living to give is more blessed than living to get. We've seen so far that ministry done right is a consistent ministry. It's a humble ministry. It's a public and personal ministry. It's a gospel ministry. It's biblical. It's about shepherding. It's about entrusting. It's contented. It's giving. And then finally, ministry done right will be a loving ministry. You know, some people have described the Apostle Paul as being kind of a hard, rough person who didn't have a lot of grace and and compassion for people. Really, nothing could be further from the truth. You know, Paul had to endure a lot. Paul had to go toe-to-toe with some false teachers. And because of that, some of the things in his letters are written very strongly. They're written very directly to the point. But Paul was a deeply loving minister of the gospel. And this scene in Acts 20 on the dock 
in Miletus, before Paul gets on the boat, is such a vivid picture of the way Paul loved and the way people loved Paul. And you can just picture this in your mind. It says in verse 36 that he knelt down with these men surrounding him and he prayed for them. You can imagine there was a lump in his throat and tears in his eyes as he prayed for these men that he had shared Jesus with, men that he had invested in, men that he had appointed as elders in this church. And he knew he would never see their faces again this side of heaven. And they knew the same. And so when Paul was done praying, it says that there were many tears. These men hugged Paul's neck hard before they said goodbye. Again, it's just a scene that shows us so clearly how much Paul loved the people that he led and how much they loved Paul. And church, shouldn't it always be that way between the people of the church and those who lead her? And church family, I I just, I want to tell you on behalf of all of the pastors of our church how loved we do feel by you. That you love us so well. You make it a joy to serve here in this church family. And we love you more than we can say. Uh, We're going to end today, uh, again, a little bit differently. Um, I know that a couple of our pastors are away this morning. Pastor Ryan and Pastor Shaq are away with about 70 middle schoolers at camp. They definitely need our prayers today. Um, But I've asked for all of our other pastors who are here today to come just for a special time of prayer. I'm going to ask them right now if they would just begin to make their way and uh, take their place in one of these aisles, just kind of scattered down each of these aisles. I'm going to ask them to kneel. You know, Paul knelt in this verse with these men and prayed with them. Uh, So as I ask them to kneel, I would just ask you, church family, to take whatever posture of prayer the Lord leads you to, to, to kneel, to stand, to sit. But let's do what we read about in God's Word today. This was a prayer for the elders of a particular local congregation, the church in Ephesus. And so I thought it'd be fitting today to end with a time of prayer for the elders of this church who have been called by God to shepherd this church that was purchased with the blood of Christ. I know that um, you probably, as you look around at these men, don't know every single one of them personally as well as another. Perhaps you're new to our church and you don't know any of them. Uh, But I, I would just tell you that these are men who love the Lord Jesus with all their heart. Uh, These are men who are serving so well, so faithfully in the ministries that God has called them to. And I'm thankful for each and every one of them. And so I want to ask Frank Peebles. He's one of our wonderful deacons. And I'm going to ask him to come at this time and just on behalf of the church, if he would lead this time of prayer for our elders. So Frank, would you come?